Hello and welcome everyone to episode 4 of Zack and Barry Talk Football. I'm Zakaria Aga, a.k.a. Zack. And I'm Behram Kazi, a.k.a. Barry. Today we'll be talking about the last round of games for the FIFA 2018 World Cup group stages and we'll be delving into the round of 16 as well. So let's get right into it. So let's look at group A and B first, Zach. Uh, let's start with the dead rubber, uh, Egypt versus Saudi Arabia. Now, this wasn't really a bad game for dead rubber. I mean, Egypt did have that controversy going on into the game with uh, the whole team meeting the Chechnya warlord and there was a cloud over the game. And it was a good response early on from Egypt, who had a pretty uh, horrible World Cup, to say the least. But Salah scored, and uh, the goalkeeper, the 45-year-old, he he had a brilliant game. Uh, He also saved a really, really good penalty. But then Saudi Arabia came back into the game and eventually won 2-1 in the 90th minute. So what do you have to say about the game? I think, uh, obviously, neither of these teams went through, but I think they have something to build off of. Both these teams, a tremendous fan base for them to work with, and I think... They can use this to uh, build themselves a bit further for further tournaments. Egypt especially, of course, you know, have a couple of very good players. Mohamed Salah, of course. I thought Higazi has been pretty good too in this World Cup. The goalkeeper as well, another one. And I think they can use this. Hopefully, we see more teams from this area become regulars in the World Cup. Yeah, definitely Egypt would be pretty devastated given the fact that uh, this wasn't such a hard group and they did have uh, Salah and a few other players. But then again, I think that... Given their form and the way they played, they didn't really deserve to go through. So without wasting further time, let's get into the big game uh, for this group. Uruguay versus Russia and Uruguay absolutely steamrolled the Russians. It was a complete performance. And uh, Uruguay, I think they have one of the best defences in this World Cup. They're yet to concede a goal. And Diego Godin, he's been a commanding figure, a great string of performances. And for me, he's been the centre-back of the World Cup. Yeah, I think uh, Uruguay have a very experienced squad, especially for international competitions. Russia was a team that we thought were a dark horse. I still think they they have a pretty good side. So seeing Uruguay beat them 3-0 in the fashion that they did was quite quite a surprise for me. I think this was the, f- uh, maybe not the first, uh, one of the only two completely commanding performances that we've seen from any of the teams in the World Cup so far. It's quite telling that both those teams, uh, in this case being Uruguay and the other one, Croatia, who gave those performances, neither of them have been favorites. Because of that, maybe Uruguay should be a team we should watch out for in the next rounds. I think this team, uh, this game proved just how good they are and maybe we've been underestimating them. I haven't been underestimating them for sure. I mean, I've always maintained that Uruguay haven't played their best football in the first two games of the group stages. They weren't too good in attack and they weren't tested in defense, but we did know that their defense is top class. But uh, I'd like to mention that Edinson Cavani missed a host of chances against Russia and he did eventually score one, but this game could have easily been like 5-0. And I think that going into the game against Portugal, Uruguay are strong favorites. And potentially, they could even go as far as the semi-finals. Yeah, a number of people uh, finally getting on the score sheet for them. They have, they've had a few goals in the tournament. I think most of all, the fact that they haven't conceded and that both their strikers have got goals now. The midfield is pretty decent. I think they have set themselves up very well with these performances to go into the next round. And uh, I, I see them coming through against Portugal. So let's move on to Russia. Uh, now or never for them, really. But uh, looking at the game against Uruguay, they they barely had any scoring opportunity and they looked pretty lackluster. And that red card didn't help either. But still, since they're the home team, I wouldn't entirely write them off against Spain. And Spain themselves haven't made the best start, so Russia could capitalize on that. 
And uh, I would say the game is 80% in favor of Spain and the first 30-odd minutes could potentially decide it. But Russia will have to play the game of their life. I mean, Spain is a very seasoned team and they've been champions not too long ago. So Russia will have to bring their A game to stand a chance. Yeah, I think we shouldn't let this game deceive us for what might happen in the next round. Uruguay have a very, very solid defense and Russia are quite good going forward. Along with that, we know that Spain does have a shaky defense. They've conceded a few goals in their group. Uh, and they haven't been as, as good as their squad is. They haven't displayed it to the extent that we would think. So I think this this uh, Russia-Spain game, we might see there's a possibility of an upset here. Of course, we would expect Spain to go through. But Russia having the home support, the level of support that they will, especially in the game of this magnitude, I think this, there might be some fireworks in this one. Well, one-off games, uh, an upset is always on the cards. You can never write it off. But uh, you talked about Spain's shaky defense. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a Spanish defense this leaky. They've been pretty horrible. I mean, David De Gea has had an absolutely horrid tournament. And then uh, so many de- defensive errors. They were even exposed on the counter against Morocco. And they got lucky in that game. In my opinion, uh, Aspas was offside in that final minute. So I think that game should have ended 2-1 Morocco. But still, I haven't been impressed with Spain's defense at all. I think this could be their shortcoming this World Cup. But... That said, uh, we're talking about one of the best midfields in the tournament. I mean, Isco is linking up really well with Iniesta and they've got great support in Sergio Busquets and David Silva. And, well, you could think of the Spanish team, uh, if I would give an analogy, you could think of it as an orchestra, which has a raging beast up front in Diego Costa. So uh, I think they are still contenders, but they definitely will have to pull up their socks and uh, bring their A game as well. Yeah, I definitely think the Spain team has one of the best midfields in the tournament, uh, possibly top two or three, along with Croatia and another team in there. But uh, yeah, they do have a very, very shaky defense. Diego Costa, I think, is class up front. The place that they do have to be concerned is in the back. They keep conceding goals uh, against teams that they really shouldn't be conceding this many goals against. And the Russians going forward are quite good, especially on the counter. So Spain will be very, they should be very worried about what might happen in this game in the back. If Russia can sit back enough uh, and not let themselves be broken down by Spain, not let Diego Costa bully them on the ball, then then we might see an upset over here. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was, yeah, uh, the uh, Iago Aspas uh, goal. I don't agree that that was offside. I think he was onside. But just touching off of that, we've seen... A number of controversial decisions given through VAR in this tournament. Uh, what do you think? Are you in favor of how VAR is working or in favor of VR in general? What, what are your thoughts on that? It's an interesting one. I mean, I definitely see the benefits of it. Uh, it does uh, make it more fair. But then again, there have been some very questionable VAR decisions, like especially that penalty that Iran got against Portugal. And even the penalty that Ronaldo missed, I, I don't think he that should have been a penalty. So, I mean, I still have my reservations and it does kind of take a bit of the drama out of the game. But I think that VAR shouldn't be in the ref's hands. I think that each team should get maybe two review calls. Putting that sort of power in the team's hands would make them more reserved when they call for VAR. And it would make it more fair in the sense that the referee would just do his job and not have that pressure. And each team, whenever they felt hard done by, can appeal. So I think that that could be a positive change as far as VAR is concerned. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting take on it. I, I, uh, I'm not a huge fan of players going to the referee and symboling that they want it to be referred uh, every time that, that a big decision goes against them. But uh, I actually like how VAR has been implemented in this tournament. Maybe it takes a bit too long sometimes, but I think the bigger problem has been how the referees use it. 
cases like the Ronaldo decision where uh you know it's a penalty or is it not a penalty will always come down to personal well to a person's uh, preference or interpretation of the rules so it depends on the referee on the day and he'll have to make a decision but in other cases uh the hand, the handball for example i think things like this should be more clear we saw two very similar handballs uh, in two different games one given and one not and i think that sort of thing it should be a lot easier to say which one should be a handball and which one shouldn't at this point to have a video assistant referee and still while we're looking the at the replays for something as clear as that not know whether the referee is going to give a penalty or whether he isn't i think that's a bit unfair so i agree with having var maybe they should look into your idea of of giving teams the review but uh, i'm okay with the way it's implemented right now as long as rules like these are clarified a bit more Well I guess we'll just have to wait and see what the future of VAR is but uh one last thought on Spain and I've said this before as well that I think that Diego Costa doesn't have enough support uh from a second striker I mean even though Aspas scored that winning goal I think that uh he he's quite isolated over there and this might come and bite Spain in the further rounds Uh yeah I don't know how much I agree with that I think a lot of uh teams in this competition are lacking a second striker of the quality that you've mentioned Uh Aspas is a very very good be- option off of the bench. Um he's different, very different than Diego Costa, maybe not a world-class striker like Diego Costa is, but off the bench uh he's a lot more quality than a lot of other teams in this competition have. So I don't think uh Spain will have to worry about that too much. Okay, so uh let's just move on to Portugal then. It's been a one-man show so far. Cristiano Ronaldo and uh, a few other moments of brilliance like that goal from Quaresma. I mean, what a strike. But uh, other than that, we haven't really seen the team gel well. It hasn't been a team show at all, and Uruguay are going to be an extremely tough team to crack. And Portugal, I honestly don't see them doing that. What do you have to say? Uh yeah, this this Portugal team does lack some firepower as lo- as well as some cohesion. Uh they they're not that good going forward apart from obviously having some big names who can do things individually, but as a team, they don't seem to offer too much going forward. I think that paired with the fact that Uruguay are so good at the back, Portugal will really struggle against this Uruguay squad. I think the only chance they have is if they can limit this Uruguay uh front line from scoring past their defense. They'll have to be very very tight in the back and then hope for maybe you know a wonder goal or something off a set piece, something off the break, things like that. Well, when the pressure was on them in the Iran game when it was 1-1, I mean, Iran had a solid chance to take the game and knock Portugal out in the final minutes. but they missed uh, played with a lot of heart though so credit to iran but i think portugal like you said really needs to step up quaresma should definitely start again so should jao martinho i have no idea why they rested him for that game and rui patricio has had a great world cup he's made some fine saves but i do believe that facing suarez and cavani might be an uphill task yeah for sure i think in the next game, in that game uh, their experience is something they'll really have to rely on some of their older players will have to have a good game Uh, Jao Moutinho, of course, uh, Ricardo Quaresma, Cristiano Ronaldo will need to have a very, very solid game along with Rui Patricio. I think Uruguay will come through. I don't think it'll be a very open game. Uh, I don't expect it to be that. I don't expect there to be a lot of goals in it, uh, but I expect Uruguay to come through. Yes, and Ronaldo, uh, he would be happy that he's had that bad game that we were talking about. I mean, he was bound to have a bad game at some point, and he has had that against Iran. So. If Portugal are to go through it has to be an extravaganza from Ronaldo and that's the only way I see them going through but other than that I completely agree with you that don't see a lot of goals in this one it's going to be a tight game I reckon let's move on to group C and D 
So let's talk about the Peru and Australia game first. And Peru, who've had a pretty decent World Cup, uh, didn't really score any goals, choked every time. They finally scored. They had a very convincing performance and they would be pretty frustrated by the fact that, you know, they they did have a good team and they could have uh, beaten Denmark as well. And had they scored that penalty against Denmark, it could have been a different story. Yeah, I think uh, Peru can take some positives out of this out of these performances. I think they're missing one or two uh, players who can individually change their game. Like Denmark has Christian Eriksen, Australia, of course, have Aaron Moy. Uh, of course, not of the same caliber as Christian Eriksen, but players like that who you can rely on to do something special in times like these. I think that's something that they can build off of. But uh, but yeah, sad end to the campaign for them. Definitely, they can build off on this. And I mean, they were expecting, I guess, a bit too much from their big stars, Paolo Guerrero and Jefferson Farfan. They didn't really click and I guess that cost them the World Cup. But it really comes down to that penalty, I believe. Anyway, Australia, uh, dearth of quality. I did not see them going through. Not impressed. Uh, yeah, I think at the end of it, no huge upsets uh, in this in this group. The people who expected to go through did come through. Uh, maybe not with the quality that we expected, but a pretty fair result and uh, should make for an interesting round of 16. So moving on to France, uh, yet another unconvincing performance. The only goalless draw of the World Cup so far, France versus Denmark. And I just feel that Didier Deschamps hasn't quite figured out his first team. There's a lot of pressure on Griezmann in particular to deliver against Argentina. And uh, even though France are yet to concede a goal from open play, and Varane and Umtiti, for the most part, have been pretty good, in attack, I think there are a lot of questions going to be asked of France. Uh, They've been starting Giroud now, and even though I think that brings in a lot of experience, but that does kind of make them a bit less mobile as compared to playing both Mbappe and Dembele. Yes, given the abundance of talent that France have in the front, I, I fail to understand why they can't find a good combination that can put the ball in the back of the net. I think uh, Giroud obviously helps since he's different from all the other options they have up there. It gives them a central figure for other players to play off of. Someone who can hold the ball up, someone who can turn when he's under pressure. Uh, obviously helps a lot against teams that are going to sit back. But France just don't seem to be able to click in the way that you would expect them to. Not enough spaces uh, behind for people like Mbappe or or Usman Dembele, you know, uh, Antoine Griezmann. You expect these players to come and to do a lot more. But again, I still do expect this France team to put in a good performance at some point in this tournament. And it'll have to be that in the round of 16 against Argentina. Oh, for sure. I mean, France, they have to perform against Argentina. Their big guns have to deliver. And uh, even though I think this is a 50-50 game for the most part, because Argentina have been pretty poor as well, but I think France, they have a superior defense. I think Varane and Umtiti, they're very, very good centre-backs. And uh, Argentina's defense has been pretty shaky. So I think that's where they have an advantage over Argentina. But then again, uh, Argentina have Messi and some other great players in offense. So... The way the journey of both teams have gone so far, in in that context, I believe this tie is very neck-to-neck, 50-50, and anyone could take it. Uh, Argentina definitely are very shaky in the back. I think apart from that, there's the fact that their defense isn't that quick and hasn't been playing that good on its own, but the protection they have in front of it in the form of Javier Mascherano, Mascherano, I don't think, has had a good tournament at all. I think he's been one of uh, Argentina's weakest players so far. He's given the ball away cheaply. He's given away fouls. He hasn't, uh, you know, affected play much up front. And in this pre- in this last game, they played Eber Benega finally. I thought Benega had a good game, but that diminishes the amount of protection that the back four has in front of them further. So I think Argentina are quite susceptible 
to concede a number of goals. Although they have the potential to be amazing uh, up front. I thought in part, in the first half, I thought they played very, very well in the game against Nigeria. The second half, they kind of dropped off a bit. But uh, you could see their senior players, Angel Di Maria, uh, you know, Lionel Messi, Higuain, all giving their all, all having very good games. Uh, you could tell how much they wanted to win this game. And in the end, they came out on top. Well, yes, they did come out in dramatic fashion and they would be pretty relieved to make the final 16. And and props to you, Zach. Uh, you were adamant that Argentina should be playing Banega and he was the one who delivered that amazing ball to Messi. So, uh, good call that one. But uh, Banega and Mascherano against Kante, Matuidi and Pogba. I think there's a bit of a mismatch over there and that might hurt Argentina. But uh, Argentina, then again, have to be at their best against France. They haven't had their best game yet. They've just done enough to get through. And even Nigeria, they had some open chances to seal it. I think Odin Igalo would be livid with himself. He's had a horrible World Cup and he missed an open goal against Argentina. But another thought on Argentina, you mentioned that Higuain was giving his all. I mean, I absolutely disagree with that. I think Higuain was horrible, horrendous. I do not believe he should start against France. And uh, I still would love to see Dybala in there somewhere, you know. Maybe play a 4-3-3 with Mascherano and Biglia uh, as the defensive midfielders. Benega as the creative midfielder. And then Dybala, Aguero and Messi up front. I do not see why they can't do that. Yeah, so I think that's an unfair assessment of Higuain. Uh, I think, uh, I understand your point that all these people, you you would think, uh, you know, just by names, Aguero, Dybala, Messi, should all be playing at the same time. But... They're too similar for me to be able to play all of these players at the same time. Dybala is the sort of player who wants the ball his, the ball to his feet, who wants to you know have a lot of touches on the ball. Aguero, again, I wouldn't call him a back-to-goal striker. I think he's very good. He's an amazing finisher. He's great in the air. You know, He's very strong for his size. Uh, he's quick. But Higuain, especially in the first half, when I saw him play, his hold-up play was very good. Uh, Argentina were playing off of him. I thought he played some good one-twos. Pressurized the defense well when he got the ball, when he was facing his uh, his own goal. So things like that are something that's very necessary in a team that has pace in other areas. I think Messi needs someone to play off of uh, as well. If you have Aguero up front, then Aguero wants the ball in behind. Whereas Iguain wants the ball two feet so he can either play it back, turn, you know, play another pass. That's the reason I thought Iguain had a good game. Because for the same, for the the job that he was put in to do, I thought he did that very well. And I don't I don't think their attack will be as fluid in the same way if Aguero plays, simply because there's too many similar players trying to do the same things on the field. That's an interesting take, I guess. I guess my rationale was that all three of Messi, Aguero and Dybala, they are very quick releases. They don't need a lot of time to take a shot. And Higuain is kind of lazy when it comes to that. Doesn't have the greatest touch. But anyway... Uh, I think that Argentina do have the momentum going against France. And that's something that France doesn't have. So that is in their favor. But I'm going to go on a whim and say that France will just edge this out, possibly even win it on penalties. Uh, yeah, possibly. If both these teams cancel out, which is a very a very good possibility of happening. Uh, in my personal opinion, I think this game will come down to uh, France's midfielders. I think it'll depend on what sort of game Pogba and Kante have. If Pogba, we've seen in certain games, he can allow uh, midfields to overrun him. Uh, I haven't seen Pogba go and grab the game, especially in this tournament, by the scruff of the neck the way I'd like him to. I think if, if France allow, if the French midfielders allow Argentina's front line, along with Messi, Mascherano and Iver Benega, hopefully if he plays, to control too much of the ball, 
then uh, I think that Argentina will come out on top. I think it's very important for Kante and Pogba to take control of the midfield, to stop Argentina from playing the football that they're capable of in order for France to go through. Okay, well, I think that's enough analysis for that game. Uh, let's go to Denmark. Against France, they definitely missed Yusuf Polson. I mean, Polson and Christian Eriksen have been that only link in that entire team, which has brought about some creativity. And that link will be ever so crucial against the game uh, against uh, Croatia because that has to be the game of their lives for these Danish players. The Croatian team is in red-hot form. And uh, honestly, I doubt that Denmark, even at their peak, can pose a challenge. Yeah, I don't think I don't see Denmark coming through. Um, they'll have to, uh, you know, drop deep. I expect Croatia to have a lot of the ball. They have an amazing midfield, but if Denmark can pull pull anything off, it'll have to be off of the break. I don't expect them to have much of the ball at all. Christian Eriksen, of course, maybe something off of a set piece or releasing a runner off of a counter attack. That's that may be Denmark's only hope in this game. But I think this one should be pretty straightforward. Yeah, so do I. I mean, and even Croatia, they rested nine players uh, against Iceland and only Perisic and Modric started that game. So their players would be raring to go. And uh, Perisic too, he's the only big star who hasn't scored for Croatia this World Cup yet, along with Mandzukic. So he will be happy to get off the mark finally. This team definitely looks the part to go far in this tournament. I mean, they have been complete. Their defence hasn't conceded from open play. Their midfield, I believe, has been the best of the tournament so far. And they're very, very deadly from the flanks. I mean, Rebic and Perisic can catch you on the counter real, real quick. So I would not want to face this Croatian team. And I can actually see this Croatian team going to the semi-finals. Yeah, I would say watch out for Croatia and Uruguay in this tournament especially. Very, very complete teams. Uh, a lot of experience, a lot of players playing top quality international football and top quality club football as well, coming off of great seasons. So definitely two to watch out for. One last thought on this group. Let's just talk a bit about Iceland. Their tournament kind of fell apart after that draw against Argentina. And they did have their chances against the second string Croatia, but they just couldn't pull through. But I do think that this team has a lot to be proud of. In the last three, four years, they've done amazingly well. And they can build off these performances. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Iceland have done very well in the past few years. For a country of their size to come uh, this far in international tournaments, I think is is amazing. Really something to be envied by a lot of, uh, a lot of bigger nations. It really goes to show the amount of work and the amount of facilities that they provided to their people uh, you know, in terms of football. And uh, I think definitely the amount of talent we see coming through, the good players per capita, I guess, for Iceland, uh, I think uh, we may see them in tournaments like this in the future too. For sure. So let's move on to Group E and F. So the biggest upset so far in the World Cup, uh, defending champions Germany out at the hands of South Korea, losing their game 2-0 in the dying minutes. Uh, of course, Mexico also down 3-0. They lost against Sweden. But what happened? Uh, Germany, of course, being one of a number of teams who have won the World Cup and being eliminated in the group stages in the following World Cup. Just talk me through this. What, what do you think led to this? Well, first of all, it's so unbelievable to me. I mean, ever since I've watched football, Germany at least make the semi-finals. They've been a world-class team in tournaments and they're always, always their contenders. So it's a real shocker. And I just think that their entire game plan was wrong this whole World Cup. They had lots of possession, but no incisive play. They weren't linking up well at all. I mean, the chemistry between the players was really, really bad. They were really out of sync. And uh, even in this game against South Korea, they did have those chances, the game-winning chances, a few open headers. But they failed to seal the game and they crumbled. 
And throughout this tournament, we've seen that German defenders have lost their positions and uh, they were susceptible on the counter. And if that had troubled them so much against Mexico and Korea, even if Germany had progressed to the later stages, I think they would have uh, gotten eliminated as soon as the round of 16. So really, really disappointed. I think the time is, seems to be up for Ozil, Muller and Kadira. These were the main guys in the 2010 World Cup, the young talent. And I think uh, they just haven't done enough to convince me. Sane, you've been saying it time and again that Germany needed that one player who could take on a fullback one-on-one. They missed Sane terribly. Werner's inexperience showed. Mario Gomez was too old for the stage. So, uh, Yogi Lo got his tactics wrong. I think he's been a great coach for Germany and he deserves a lot of praise. But I think it's time to move on. Time for some fresh ideas. Yeah, I would break it down to three main things that Germany either got wrong or didn't have in this tournament. The first, of course, uh, players who can take on the fullback one-on-one in wide areas. I think things like that, uh, players like that are important because they help uh, spread the field, make the field of play much larger. I think the only time we saw anything close to that was Timo Werner in uh, in their previous game when he was out wide taking off this fullback one-on-one. He tried it a few times in the game against Korea, but I thought he had a poor game overall. But he's the only player in this squad uh, who would stay wide and try to do that. I thought a player like Leroy Sané could do the same on the opposite flank. And that would give them an option that they really, really needed. Since teams are sitting back, it's important to make the field bigger uh, to allow the players through the middle to play and to put balls into the box. The second thing I thought they missed was a player uh, like Bastian Schweinsteiger, who they've had in previous tournaments, who through the center can beat players and create space for himself without having to pass through the opposition. Bastian Schweinsteiger, I thought, you know, uh, you'd see him, see him a lot carrying the ball forward from midfield, from in the middle. And I thought a lot of times we'd see sideways passes, passes going back and forth. And in Germany, while pl- trying to play through the middle, not being able to, to get through. I think the closest they had in this tournament to that sort of player was Ozil. Ozil, of course, would not playing as deep, but had a terrible tournament. He's the sort of player you can expect to make space for himself in tight positions and get the ball through in tight areas, but uh, not, not the best tournament at all for Ozil. And uh, lastly, after missing those two types of players, I thought Germany's defense was not up to the mark. If there's something that you that we had become used to from German teams, especially from this crop of German players, it was the, their defensive solidity, that you could count on the fact that they wouldn't concede many goals. And I think when they're struggling up front, it's important not to concede in the back. And when they concede in the back in positions like those, it puts them under pressure where they have to score, opening the play up even more for the opposition. Of course, they didn't concede too many goals in this, uh, in this tournament, but... The ones that they did concede were very important in the outcomes uh, that came forward. So I think those three things are what they missed the most. Uh, maybe, uh, I, get, I guess at that point, it comes down to the squad selection. But yeah, that's the reasons I put down for, for this German exit. Well, you've mentioned a couple of things. Firstly, uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger, I 100% agree. Uh, he not only could create space for other players, he was also a really good defensive option. He was really, really strong. And Ozil, you can't even compare Ozil to Schweinsteiger. Ozil could never win a battle, a physical battle with any other player. <laughs> And I fail to understand why Joachim Lowe changed the team that won against Sweden. I mean, that team had the momentum, they were up on confidence, and he brought in Kadira and Ozil again. So that was another tactic that I did not agree with. But the defence, I mean, I just don't even know what to say. Uh, Germany's defence, they've conceded four goals in three games. I don't think they conceded four goals in the entire 2014 World Cup. Correct me if I'm wrong. But that it has to come down to that. And the players were clearly under pressure. 
maybe a bit of the arrogance got to them. Germans can tend to be a bit that way. But uh, whatever it was, uh, they were really, really poor and deservedly finished last in that group. Yeah, uh, unfortunate for Germany and all the German fans, but I think it is a fair it is a fair result or reflection fair reflection of what happened in the group. South Korea, of course, uh, doing well to put a couple past Germany in the dying minutes, uh, really putting the icing on the cake. Um, what about Sweden and Mexico? What do you think about those two? Well, Mexico initially in the first two games looked very solid, but their defensive uh, frailty really showed against Sweden. I mean, Sweden were playing well. But they didn't outclass Mexico in attack. They were making chances, but Mexico really didn't respond well. I mean, even Ochoa was making a few good saves early on. And I think Mexico were complacent. That's what it comes down to. And they, I don't think they can quite size up to the Brazil squad that they have to face in a couple of days. And Brazil, I mean, Coutinho is having the tournament of his life. This guy has been the go-to man for Brazil when it comes to goals and assists. Neymar has been getting better with every game. He hasn't lit up the World Cup quite yet, but uh, he was pretty decent against uh, Serbia. So Brazil, they have been getting better with every game. They have shown improvement. And I do expect them to coast forward against Mexico, which looked uh, shaky in defense when the pressure was on. So it's going to be an interesting game. Obviously, you can't write Mexico off because they have been uh, playing really well apart from that Sweden game. But I think Brazil have got this in the bag. Yeah, I think Mexico did show their fragility in the back in this game. Um, the Swedish team obviously being much larger, a very physical team. Uh, and I think they just couldn't cope. But I think, yeah, the pressure did get to them a bit too. And uh, in tournaments like this, in you know, with the stakes involved, that could really that could really be what, what makes them come undone at the end. So I think, of course, they'll they'll go back to basics in the next game against against Brazil. They'll line up similarly to how they did against Germany. I think they'll sit back, try to hit Brazil on the break. But uh, I don't I don't know if it'll work uh, against this Brazil squad. I think we've seen how fragile they can be in the back, and Brazil are looking quite fluid up front. Against Serbia, I thought they played quite well. I thought Nebar slowly came into the game. You're seeing to start. You're seeing uh, him regain his fitness. Um, I thought by the end of the game, he had quite a few chances, and he probably should have had at least one of them buried by the end of it. But this Brazil squad do look quite fluid in attack when they want to be. I think the trouble with this Brazil squad is that they they can switch off quite easily. Even in the Serbia game, I thought quite a few... Uh, there was this good spell of uh, possession, I think, for Serbia around the 60th minute. And the next 10, 10 minutes after that, until Brazil scored the second goal, I thought they looked really, really shaky. So put under pressure, I think this Brazil squad could come undone. And they're, uh, they're likely to switch off at some point in the game. So Mexico will have to sit back and, uh, and you know, take their chances when they get them. I echo those sentiments. I think Brazil have gotten more fluid in attack by the game. But, uh, like you said, when Serbia put the pressure on, Brazil did seem to crumble a bit. And Alexander Mitrovic, if he had a half-decent game, the result could be different. And uh, I think Brazil, even though Mexico might not be able to put that pressure on them, I think Carlos Vela and Chicharito would have to have their best game so far to do that. But I think going forward and potentially in a quarterfinal against Belgium, that's somewhere that Brazil could fall short. And I do agree with the fact that the defense is going to have to improve. Yeah, uh, I think this game will come down to two things. A, how solid Mexico can stay in defense. And B, uh, whether Philippe Coutinho is allowed the freedom that he's been allowed in these previous games. He's been pulling the strings for Brazil in all of their games so far. Uh, I think um, Mexico's midfield will have to stop him from getting space, stop him from playing the ball out basically nullify his presence as much as they can and, and force players like Neymar 
and uh, Douglas Costa, if he's fit, if, uh, Gabriel Jesus, who still I don't think is having the best tournament, force players like that to step up. Uh, so we'll see if they can cut off the supply lines. Maybe this Brazil squad isn't all it's cracked up to be. But then, obviously, on the other hand, this Mexico defense will have to be very, very resolute to allow that to happen. One quick question. Uh, who's been your midfield of the tournament? Coutinho or Modric? Ah, oh, that's a tough one. Uh, I think they, they play in very different positions. I think Coutinho is much more further up the pitch. Uh, and he influences play a lot from over there. But I think just the way Modric controls the pace of the game, where everything goes through him, he decides, you know, how quickly the game's going to move. I think you're going to see Modric um, be a lot more effective in games to come. I think teams can nullify Coutinho. I don't know if teams can nullify Modric. That's a fair analysis. Uh, I think Coutinho is slightly more influential towards Brazil's success than Modric is to Croatia's, at least judging by the tournament so far. But if you put it down to... uh, Controlling the tempo of the game, I think Modric does that best. There is no other, there is no better midfielder out there in this World Cup who can uh, control the pace of the game as well as Luka Modric. But anyway, let's move on to the final game uh, in this group. Well, the upcoming game, the round of 16 clash between Sweden and Switzerland. Now, Switzerland, I think they've been very threatening in attack. I've been really impressed by their pace up front. And they were pretty resolute and organized in defense too in their first two games. But this last game against Costa Rica, they looked uh, pretty dire in defense. Yeah, uh, this one is going to be a tough game to call. Uh, I think quite a tough game to call. Brazil, uh, sorry, uh, Sweden, big, strong, physical team. Uh, Switzerland, um, maybe a different style of play than Sweden. A bit quicker, they like to counterattack. And they are very good going forward. Both these teams, are, interestingly enough, have scored a decent number of goals in this tournament. So it's this one's quite tough to call. Uh, I expect there to be a number of goals in this game. Neither team looks super solid at the back. and uh, Both teams look good going forward. Um, I think this one may come down to you know, a sort of piece of brilliance by someone like Granit Xhaka or, or Jordan Shakiri uh, or, or the, you know, the opposite from the Sweden side. Very, very tough to call for me. Well, even though Switzerland's defence uh, looked a bit shaky in the last game, their keeper Jan Sommer has been absolutely fantastic. I mean... They weren't winning that game against Costa Rica if it wasn't for Sommer. And he's been one of the leading keepers in the tournament for me. I do think that the Swedish team lack a bit of pace compared to the Swiss. But they are playing with a lot of spirit. And uh, every time Sweden make it to the World Cup, they make it to the knockout. So that says something about their team spirit and in general their cohesiveness. So they do have the momentum. Uh, Switzerland lost a bit of momentum against Costa Rica. A tough one to call. I think this could be another game that could go to penalties. But uh, I'm going to say Switzerland's going to edge it out. Uh, Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Switzerland as well. Simply because I think they have uh, a bit of that X-factor in attack. A bit more pace and some more creative players. But this one could definitely go down to the wire. I expect there to be goals in this one though. So um, it'll it'll be a fun game to watch. For sure. Anyway, let's move to our final two groups. Group G and H. So we finally got to see the England-Belgium game. Uh, I thought this game would really help us decide, uh, you know, how good these teams really are. But both of them decided to rest most of their first team squads. It kind of uh, enlightened me on just how much depth both these teams have. Uh, A lot of strength and depth for both of them. But really, I couldn't tell, you know, just how strong both their squads are. A pretty evenly contested game. I thought both teams had a lot of chances that they could have put away. Uh, Belgium especially had a few very, very good chances near the end of the game that they should have put away. England uh, a bunch earlier. Uh, But yeah, I can't really tell how these teams will fare in, in the rounds to come. 
beautiful goal from Adnan Yanezai though. Let me let me just add that. What a goal. Oh yes, he definitely sent uh, Danny Rose to the cleaners. But uh, I agree with the fact that we couldn't quite judge how how these two teams would do against better opposition since they decided to rest most of their players. But it was good entertaining football end-to-end stuff and it was a great game for both keepers. I think Jordan Pickford has had his game of the tournament for sure and Thibaut Courtois too. Uh, that save uh, against Rashford, I think, that got Belgium those three points. So it's good that both teams got to rest in a way. They're going to bring their A game for the round of 16 clashes. But uh, then again... Does England really know what their first eleven is? Because there were some really good performances today. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I think, has been very, very impressive. And then, even though Marcus Rashford didn't get a goal, I think he did show uh, sparks of brilliance. So, I think it might be a little tough for Gareth Southgate to pick that first team against Colombia. And England cannot take that game lightly. I mean, even though they've got an easier sort of route to the semi-finals, but they do have to beat Colombia in order to get to that game in which they play the winner of Sweden and Switzerland. And given the fact that England are so accustomed to that monumentous collapse that happens pretty much every time, I mean, last time it was against Iceland, I think that there will be a lot of pressure in this game against Colombia. And Colombia, they've looked really good since the second game. They would be a bit worried because James Rodriguez was out injured in the 31st minute in the game against Senegal. But apart from that, they've really gotten the job done. And uh, there'll be a lot of onus on Falcao and uh, Cuadrado if they are to beat England. Yeah, I thought maybe England should have rest, shouldn't have rested as many players simply, and Belgium as well. They shouldn't have rested as many players simply because teams like these, uh, both these teams, Belgium maybe not as much, but England especially, are quite inexperienced in this competition. Uh, their first 11 is, or at least most of their players are. They could have used some momentum going into the next game. Um, maybe that number of changes wasn't necessary, but but then yeah, n- let's see. Uh, Garrett Southgate may have a bit of a problem with the starting eleven, seeing who should play, who shouldn't, uh, who's on form, who isn't. Of course, we know a few of the players who will start, but I think I think a, f- a number of players today would have caught his eye. Uh, as far as Colombia goes, yes, I think Colombian fans, you should be very very worried after James Rodriguez went off injured today. Um, we know actually from this tournament, from the first game, just how much. Of, how different Colombia play when he's on the pitch versus when he isn't. And uh, I think how this game goes may depend a lot on whether or not he's on the field and uh, how fit he is if he is on the field. I mean, we've seen that assist in the second game against Poland and James Rodriguez. I mean, that was the assist of the tournament for me. Absolutely brilliant. He can bring so much of a difference in the squad uh, as far as creativity is concerned. And he really is the superstar. I mean, Cuadrado is good. And Falcao has been really good in the past, but his powers are a bit on the wane. I think Colombia desperately need James Rodriguez against an English squad, which is high up on confidence. Yeah, uh, I think Colombia have a number of players who can put the ball in the back of the net. They have Cuadrado, electric pace in attack. Uh, Falcao, very experienced and a, an amazing finisher, one of the best strikers you could find. But they need that provider, uh, sort of player who can make space both for himself, who can take shot, who can take on a defender, make room for himself and to play the ball out to these players. And James Rodriguez is is not only that player, but one of the best players in that position. It's very hard to find a player of his caliber, you know, let alone anything close to it. So it'll be a terrible miss if he isn't able to play. I'm hoping he is. Of course, it'll make for a better game. My prediction for the game, I think, uh, will solely be based on whether or not he plays. I think if James plays, Colombia will go through. I think they've just got too much quality up front. Uh, and if he doesn't, then uh, then I think it'll be a close game. I don't see England being fluid enough. 
to get for this to be a super open game. But I think if he doesn't play, then I think England will scrape through. Well, I think England should be able to scrape through if Hamas doesn't play. But then if he does, it's again, it's 50-50 for me then. So it'll be an interesting game. Anyway, moving on to Belgium. Uh, they have been really, really good. One of the few sides who have lived up to their potential this tournament. And their bench has performed as well, I mean. They had a lot of good chances today against England. Looked very probing in attack. So they would be high, high up on morale. Especially given the fact that they're playing Japan, who sort of didn't have the best game against Poland. They even chose to rest six of their players in a must uh, a win game. Well, not a must-win game, but a game in which they needed a result. So that was a bit of a baffling decision for me. But I think Belgium's strong favourites in that game and uh, really will be itching to get on the pitch. Yeah, I think uh, Belgium have kind of lucked out with this draw. Uh, Japan, obviously, I can't understand why they rested so many players either. But but yeah, that's, that's what they went with and they still made it through. Uh, I think this Japan team are, are good in possession. So they may trouble Belgium a bit more than other teams we've seen against Belgium so far. But I also expect Belgium to come through. And I think if they can get some momentum in this game, then they could go quite far in this tournament. Again, absolutely stacked squad. Some very, very good players. Some players starting to take some ownership. Uh, you could see you know, their best players are, are giving it their all this time. They really think they can go far in this tournament. They believe they can go far in this tournament. So I think Belgium do have a good shot at, uh, you know, at, at least maybe even the semifinals. Um, but this game, I think, will really prove how much Belgium have in them. Oh, for sure. I mean, all these players that they have, Lukaku, Hazard, Mertens, Kevin De Bruyne, these guys are now at their peak and they're mature enough to understand what the big nights feel like. So I think this is their best shot. It's their golden generation and they can actually, if they perform right up till the end, they could they could go and lift the whole thing. So Belgium, uh, definitely contenders for me. You can always expect them to sort of choke, but then again, uh, Japan should be an easy opponent to get through. And given the fact that they sort of have all of those bases covered, I mean, even Vincent Companies uh, came off the bench against England. So that would be a very good sign for Belgium, considering the fact that so much of their bench players have gotten a start. They're all uh, match fit. And uh, they've got a lot of depth in that squad. So yes, uh an outside chance to win the World Cup, I would say. But semi-finals, I think, would be the very least that this Belgium squad would want to achieve. Yeah, I think definitely it's going to be it's going to be a very good tournament going forward as well. Most of the teams that we expected to come through to next to the next round have uh, at least all of the big ones, except for Germany. So it should be a very action-packed uh, round of sixteen for the twenty eighteen World Cup. Yep. Uh, just one last thought on uh, Senegal. Uh, I think they were a bit unlucky. I think fair play isn't the best sort of metric to uh, eliminate a team in the World Cup. Maybe passes completed would have been better. Senegal for sure were the best team on show from Africa. But uh, Africa has unfortunately been eliminated from this World Cup. Yeah, uh, a little ironic that uh, fair play uh, seeming to be the most unfair way to eliminate a team from the World Cup, as one of our listeners, uh, I think Daniel said. Uh, But... I, I wouldn't have put it to passes created. I think that influences the way teams play too much, maybe in a negative way. So this was seventh on the list of uh, things that could determine why one team goes through over the other. And I think when it comes down to it being this close, then um, then maybe yeah, the number of yellow cards isn't such a bad uh, reason to go out. But all the, all the more well-played Senegal almost made it and maybe again something to build in future tournaments. Yeah, Japan would definitely be counting their lucky stars.
But anyway, that's a wrap on episode four of Zach and Barry Talk Football. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share and subscribe. And if you agree or disagree with any of our opinion, don't forget to comment below. We really look forward to your feedback and we do want to get better at this. And please keep the interactions going on the Facebook page. We are Zach and Barry on Facebook. The and is an ampersand. And on Twitter, we are Zach and Barry, spelled out A-N-D. So uh, tweet to us, uh, write to us on Facebook. We love to hear from you. Yeah, keep your predictions coming. Keep your analysis coming. Uh, we'll see you after the next round of fixtures. Till then, this is me, Zakaria Aga, signing off. And this is Bear Kazi. See you later.